Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1357, entitled Vampire Wireless. Our podcast title is Vampod. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are after having survived Radiophon. Yes, amazing. Radiothon, thank you so much to everybody who subscribed, donated, listened, and has been supporting the station both this year and every other year. We very much appreciate you. And somebody who always has been putting in 40G, our podcaster, Kayla Larson. Yes, big shout out to Kayla, gives up her time to help us with the podcast and we couldn't do it without you. That's right. So if you want to check out the podcast edition of Zero G, although you're listening to us right now, rrr.org.au. Now we were giving away notional space stations last week and a couple of people were subscribing after the show. I did Mm -hmm. manage to catch one of those names as they went by and it was Lisa Flaherty from Mm -hmm. Newport. So Lisa, thank you very much for subscribing last week. It's all very complicated and technically difficult at the moment. So... So we'll give you a, an inflatable space station just to to cover the zero-G time lag from last week so it can sort of expand. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they make an inflatable space station? Because it makes sense when you think about it. <laughs> All right. So moving along, we do have more space-orientated items for today. Mm-hmm. So we've got For All Mankind Season 2. So this is on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a streaming television series, of course, written by Ronald D. Moore and created by him as well. He's one of the executive producers. Uh, Matt Wolpert and Ben Nadivi are also there in the creative mix. And this is basically a counterfactual science fiction series, or perhaps mm-hmm. a, it's a bit of both because they never do explain the actual mechanism of why we're in this alternate universe but it basically hinges upon one thing happening differently in history Uh, as you know when you do a science fiction counterfactual or a fantasy one it's often that sort of thing Uh, you know if you've got like the nazis win world war ii or Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. most common one yeah Uh, goodness knows why (laughs) but (laughs) but in this case it's uh sergey Korolev, who was like the father of the Soviet space program. Mm -hmm. And in the 1960s, he uh, died in Moscow. And, well, they never really got their sort of lunar program operational after that, not properly. And Mm -hmm. so in their case, Korolev lives. And that has all these changes. Now, the, the show is somewhat Ironically named for all mankind, of course, riffing off the the famous uh, phrases from the Apollo moon landing, but because it also features the uh, the members of the 
first lady astronaut trainees group, the Mercury, mm-hmm. Mercury 13. Now, these were seven women who were trained as astronauts, but and it wasn't an official NASA program, hmm. and they never flew, mm-hmm. except one of them has, as we were talking about with uh, Jeff Bezos's um, Amazon mm-hmm. Women in Space flight. <laughs> mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of them actually did go into space recently. Okay. Hooray! On his giant phallic rocket. <laughs> well, you know, whatever whatever gets you into space, basically. And in this case, these, uh, I think it was, uh, which one was it? Wally Funk. Mm-hmm. She went mm-hmm. up on that one. So in For All Mankind, because the Soviets get to the moon as well with a human space flight, mm-hmm. and there after the space race continues. So they, okay. they run through all of the... Apollo flights, the scheduled ones, and then they keep going. Mm. And so do the Russians. So that was the first season of For All Mankind. And so they're grabbing all of the astronauts they possibly can. And we're like up to Apollo 70 or something like that in season two. So that's set in the 1980s. We've got space shuttles going, a full fleet of those, and a second generation space shuttle about to be launched as well. There's Mm -hmm. There's a moon base at Shackleton Crater called Jamestown, and the, and the Soviets mm-hmm. have one too. So it's all happening. It's an amazing time. And the remarkable thing about this is the characters who were in the first one, some of those have retired from active space flight and are now, right. and are now running mission control and also mm-hmm. NASA. One of the NASA director is a woman. And so this is all sort of change history and the procedural of that, the counterfactual procedural, is really good. Mm-hmm. For example, okay. they've had a lot of experience running moon rovers, and those mm-hmm. moon rovers run on batteries. And so that battery technology for vehicles has translated back onto Earth. So in the 1980s, oh. they're already starting to run battery-operated cars. Interesting. Flow-on effects and things. That's yeah. cool that they explore some of those ideas. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about this, you, you get these little tidbits along the way, like John Lennon was mm-hmm. shot at but not killed. Right. So we're really tugging. It's, a, it's its own kind of multiverse, isn't it? <laughs> and, the, and the Pope was killed in, instead okay. of being Interesting. wounded as he was in real life. Uh, okay. Camilla is princess. Wow. All um, right. So, so they're just picking some historical things yeah, to counter. They're not linked in any way. It's sometimes they are. The, because the Soviets have put so much into their space program, they mm-hmm, don't, they don't mm-hmm. actually go into Afghanistan. Okay. Interesting. You know, so okay. I'm not sure whether or not the Soviet Union will fall. Right. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I am curious. So what's the tone? Like, it sounds super interesting. Is it a very heavy drama? Is it really character driven? Is it much more like slick? Like kind of what vibe are we talking? Um, okay. So we're not talking uh, Moonbase 8, the comedy, okay. <laughs> the comedy science fiction series, or um, what was the other one? Uh, Space Corps. Mm-hmm. Not in that mode. It's, it's more serious and yep. it's optimistic and uplifting. Okay. And I actually wouldn't mind living in their universe in a lot of respects, except for the fact that the Cold War is not ending at this stage. So mm-hmm, they're actually mm-hmm. at DEFCON 3. Okay. So, you know, atomic war could break out at, at any moment. Uh, the, um, the show is done by uh, Ronald Moore, as I said, whose name is connected with Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, okay. and mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. New Battlestar Galactica. 
And so you would expect that sort of optimistic high frontier tone from him. Let's have a bit of music before we go on. And I think we'll start with a a track from another space station that could. (laughs) And this is Touchy Station from The Expanse, one of the finest science fiction series ever made. And this is by Clinton Shorter. Zero G is fun, as you were. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Clinton Shorter's touchy station from The Expanse, continuing Zero G's focus upon mm-hmm. artefacts in space, space stations. It is your station here on Triple R from last week. We have a few tracks, not leftovers, but you know, still going out there into space. We're talking about the second season of the Apple TV Plus series, for all mankind, which is a mm. counterfactual where the space race continued after the moon landings and the Soviets and the United States both have active colonies on the moon. Well, I should say colonies, but they're actually just little space bases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the second season really kicks into high gear there. They have to deal with, amongst other things, right up front, a major solar flare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are, this is very very high science fiction concept really and they it looks great for a start when the mm. when the proton storm hits the moon the lunar regolith dances mm-hmm. like it's raining on the moon and there's indeed some quite heavy duty drama in there the procedural in this show is magnificent the space suits look great nice they do a lot of the uh, the sort of um the kangaroo hop that they do in that reduced lunar gravity doesn't show mm-hmm. up inside the moon base as much as it maybe should, but it looks to me like they're kind of faking it there with Velcro pads on the floor so so they're actually being stuck to those as they walk around. But, of course, the gravity inside the base would be just as low as outside. It's not mm-hmm. Star Trek in spite of the <laughs> Ronald Moore connection in the, as executive producer. I just love the details in this. Like, they all take time out on the moon to watch the sunrise. Oh. And it's a beautiful moment, but it's also lethal mm. in the context of the solar storm. Uh, the director um, of NASA, uh, Madison is her name. She's one of the, uh, I think she's one of the Mercury 13 female astronauts from the original series. The, the detail in that, she, like, she, for example, she keeps a pen taped to her toothbrush in case she gets any ideas that she has to jot down while she's in the shower and doing her ablutions in the morning. <laughs> it's it's just a little thing. It's the sort of thing mm. maybe you'd use your mobile phone for now, but it's the 80s. Mm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously the, because they'd said in the, the 80s that in this season the music is there and it's spot on from that period. Mm. And I just think this is a great show. I love it. It's also got um, – Michael and Denise Akuda, again from the Star Trek Connections, as the technical advisors, so they keep it well on track. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a, a pleasure to watch this show. It's got that whole Star Trek thing going, and it's got some very familiar faces too in the uh, in the cast list. For example, Molly Cobb, astronaut Molly Cobb, is played by Sonia Walga, who we've seen before in Coupling. Mm-hmm. way back in 2003 Gosh. and she was also Penny Widmore in Lost. Huh? So I've actually seen her quite a few times in these sorts of shows like Flash Forward as well. 
and here she is playing a, a plucky astronaut. Don't call me plucky. I don't want to. Don't know what it means. <laughs> We've also got Charles Kinnaman there, the Swedish American actor who starred as Takeshi Kovacs in the first season of Altered Carbon. He's also in um, uh, Suicide Squad in uh, 2016, as well as in the James Gunn one. Right, okay. Yeah. Got an invite back. Yes. Big call, big yeah. call. So he plays astronaut uh, Ed Baldwin, who's also sort of now flying a desk. He's in charge of um, uh, basically he's the guy who selects astronaut mm. missions. And I love mm-hmm. all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. It mirrors real life quite a bit. Mm. So, yeah. Do you think you need to be like a space or a historical buff or enthusiast to enjoy the show? Or do you think there's enough there if you just as a casual watch or do you think it's best if you have an interest in such things well okay let's it's a yeah nah maybe question really like, mm. like if you hate the whole idea of space <laughs> <laughs> yeah which means you're you're perfectly happy to live in a diminished tiny little cramped world of uh, lunar landing denialism then don't mm. watch don't watch it you know <laughs> but if you are a space hipster a space buff you're going to get a lot out of it. If you go mm-hmm. too far in that direction, you might just sit there muttering, oh, that's not right. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I, I would call myself a space buff from way back. You know, I can remember mm. memorising astronauts' names from lists. Oh, Rob, <laughs> young Rob memorising the, the roster of the astronauts. Okay, and you really got a lot out of it. So that's good yeah. to know, I think. Yeah. Mm. So you could say it's for all Jan kind. It's season two <laughs> and it's on Apple TV Plus at the moment. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a couple of seasons kicking around. I think it's already been renewed. So, cool. you know, it's all there and you can just watch it. I do really like the fact that they call the commander her call sign when she's talking on the lunar radio to her mm-hmm. space-suited buddies outside on the, on the moon's surface. She identifies herself as Jamestown, which is the name of the colony. She says Jamestown Actual, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that means that she's actually the commander, and it's right. it's something that they pulled from Battlestar Galactica. Right, okay. So this is <laughs> Easter eggs, quote, unquote. Yeah, lots there. of that sort of stuff. Great fun. Okay. All right, so let's go away from that, drift away from that with a track from the soundtrack of the first mm-hmm. season, For All Mankind, the main title by Jeff Russo. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Yeah, for all mankind, Jeff Russo there, who, of course, we know from Star Trek Discovery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Megan. Yes. Over to me. I have a game that I've been itching to discuss, and it's just dropped, and I've managed to play through already, and so I thought I'd discuss it. Now, I will quickly say there'll be no spoilers or anything untoward given away during my review of the new game called 12 Minutes. So the game 12 Minutes has been a bit talked about, a little bit hyped, and then since its release and since people have had a bit of a playthrough, people love to dissect and everyone's got an opinion. Uh, So I won't – I'm just going to give a bit of an overview and a bit of my thoughts, but I'm not going to spoil anything for you. So don't worry too much about that. So 12 Minutes. It was released uh, on the 19th of August, so it's really fresh off the presses. Uh, this year. Now it is available to play on Microsoft Windows, so on your PC, 
Xbox One and the Xbox Series X and S. Now, I managed to play it on Game Pass. So if you have a Game Pass membership, um, you'll be pleased to know that you can download it on there. So that was a really nice way for me to get to play. I liked that. So the game has been developed uh, by Luis Antonio. Now, he's the creative vision and he had a real kind of idea about what he wanted the game to be. He's our Iron Grim, if you will. If you've been catching up with our <laughs> Rob and my exploits watching Mythic Quest on Apple TV. So Luis Antonio, he uh, has developed this game. And as I did mention before, if you do, if you're interested in more discourse, more specific about the story and the ending and whatever, you can have a look online. There's plenty of stuff. There's some great behind the scenes resources on the website as well. Um, so you can catch up with all of that. So the game has been pretty hotly anticipated. It is a crime time loop game and the marketing and vibe has really been in the style of old school point and click adventures, really kind of showing the art, which is a very simple top down style. And it's really capitalizing on Kubrick and Hitchcock energies from their film. Mm. So if you look at the poster and the cover material for the game you'll really see those hints of it and there's a little easter egg that's obviously someone's a kubrick fan and it's been incorporated into the game so uh right up right away it's up my street so it's pitched as an interactive thriller and that type of game isn't really out of um, the ordinary for Annapurna Interactive, which is the studio that's developed the game. So Annapurna Interactive have done a lot of great narrative story games and a lot of games that I've enjoyed playing, actually. They do kind of some weird and strange stuff. Often they do quite pensive or experimental games, ones that include interesting kinds of puzzles or ones that are really narrative focused and just include some light gameplay and light interaction. So often there's a bit of clicking to unravel a story. Now, I'll just mention a couple of their other games that you might be familiar with. So they did a game called Kentucky Route Zero, which is a story game with a very distinct kind of black and white style, very experimental and a bit cinematic. They did Journey, which is a very well-beloved game that I know a lot of people have played and enjoyed. They did a game called Florence, which was also available on mobile. That was an animated, very sweet and gentle game, much more about the everyday, love and music and so on. Uh, they did a game called Gone Home, where you arrive home to your abandoned house and you must explore the house <laughs> and the items to discover what happened there. So, you know, kind of some retro ideas about the kind of games I remember growing up playing where, you know, you arrive at a house and you must look through the contents of the kitchen to figure out, you know, why no one's there and what's happened. Uh, similar to that, What Remains of Edith Finch is another game where you explore a family house and unravel the lives of the family within. So you can kind of see the the vibe of the kinds of games that this studio puts out. One that I will call out is Outer Wilds, which is actually a game that also involves a time loop. I've heard it's exceptional. I've not played it myself, and I've heard that the the less you know about the game, the better. But that's another one by Annapurna, which I've heard is well worth a look. It's much more of an adventure-style game as well. So they also do like to cast actors in their games, some names. And I'll get to 12 Minutes' voice cast in a minute, but they've used Bryce Dallas Howard for a game before, a game called Maquette, and it's probably a little bit due to the fact they're linked with Annapurna Pictures, which, of course, does uh, releases movies um, like Zero Dark Thirty and so on. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the gameplay briefly, and then we might get in the mood with the track. 
So it's a 12-minute time loop. You could have guessed that because the game is called 12 Minutes. And you replay this time loop and it's, I'm going to say it's a maximum playtime of 12 minutes per loop. So things happen in real time. Depending on what happens, it may, like the loop might restart again in less than the 12 minutes based on your actions. You investigate, interact with your surroundings, which is a very limited surrounding. It pretty much takes place in one apartment. So you interact with your surroundings. You can manipulate objects to the degree I think you'd be familiar with a point and click. Like you can't be doing some very intricate actions, but you can do basic things like fill a cup with water and so on. You have conversations with the minimal other characters in the game and you try and break the time by learning more and more information and kind of fiddling with little situations, let's say, (laughs) as a euphemism, to go to your favour so you can learn more. And, uh, yeah, you basically just have to poke and prod your way through these loops uh, until you reach more of an answer. So what I'll do is I will play uh, a track from the soundtrack. I do think one of the lovely things about the game is the tone. So it really has a very quiet and slightly ominous tone, and a lot of that is due to the great score, which I very much um really enjoyed. So the score is by Neil Bones and I'm going to play a little track called, it's just called One, the Roman numeral One. And uh, let's hear a little bit of that to get a sense of the vibe of, of, of our game. And then I'll, I'll set out a little bit more detail. This is Sir Derek Jacobi. Zero G or not zero G? That is the question. That was One from Neil Bones, who has done the score for the game 12 Minutes, which I have just finished playing very recently and we are discussing today. No spoilers, of course. Um, that I thought that might set the tone a little bit about the, the kind of style of the game. So let's set the scene now. It's a top-down view of an apartment, evening. So that is pretty much you are just looking straight down from the roof, down into the room, opening entrance of the apartment. You've arrived home. It's dim. Your wife is humming in another room and there's meager items around for you to potentially explore and make use of. There's only two other rooms in the apartment and a cupboard, a closet, and you're already in the kitchen slash lounge room. Now it's up to you as the 12 minutes play out to manipulate the story with these (laughs) meager things at your disposal and, um, yeah, gain more knowledge and utilise that knowledge in order to beat the time loop and solve the mystery. Uh, it, It really is yours to do what you will, obviously within the confines of the game, uh, seemingly in a void without moral consequence in a way. So you will do some questionable things during this 12 minutes. I won't say any more than that. Uh, the style the vi- and the vibe of the game, as you may have picked up from that very lilting yet vaguely sinister score, it's very classy, it's a bit ominous, and I really liked spending time in the kind of creepy atmosphere. It's a bit domestic thriller kind of vibe. So I think Neil Bones has done a really nice job of that score and that similarly the whole score I think works really well and it also marks little notes when you might gain a bit of information. The music helps let you know that you've unlocked something new. Now, one of the other things, I love games that do this. There are six different endings that you can get based on your movements in the game and how you 
respond to the situations. So there's kind of unique achievements and unique things that you can do to reach each of those. Uh, Some of them unlock earlier than others. So it's really how you decide you want to play the game as to what ending you'll get. I'm not going to tell you what ending I got, but if you're interested, maybe I'll mention in a future show. And three of them kind of roll credits, so you see it as very much the end of this movie slash game, and three of them don't. I'm not really sure what that means. I got a credits ending, so I feel like that's one of the maybe quote-unquote true endings, you could say. Um, I certainly learned a lot in my in my time playing the game. I think the best part is you can discuss if other people play the game too, what ending they got. I think everybody uses different means to get different things out of the game and follow different paths. And I think it would be very cool to discuss that with someone else who'd also had an opportunity to play through and, you know, hey, what did you do here? X, Y, Z, that kind of thing. Now, one thing to call out, I alluded to this earlier, is the cast, the voices. Mm. Now, I think video game voice acting is an amazing profession and there are so many games I've played where the voices are like such a core part of getting the narrative story out of that game. Now, they've really brought in some heavy hitters for this Mm. one. So we've got Daisy Ridley, who's playing the wife. We know her, of course, from Star Wars and so on. And Willem Dafoe. Uh, don't even, I don't even run down his CV. We know Willem Dafoe. We love Willem Dafoe. He plays a role as well. Uh, he does it beautifully. I think he really brings, like, some gravitas to that role. And you, the character you play as, the man, the, the husband, uh, is James McAvoy. So. Wow. No slouches uh, turning up for this one. So they've pulled some strings or, you know, and I mean, not to discount it, I'm sure these people were interested in doing this game based on the script and the ideas as well. So I think it's pretty cool. Now, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. I don't think it really is, but it's boggling to me they cast James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley, who are both, Daisy's British and James McAvoy I think is Scottish, and they, the voice acting is an American accent. I think that's probably my main bugbear with the game is why did we cast these people if we're making them speak in an accent that's not their accent? So just a minor point there. It's a challenge for the actors. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and, look, I still think they did a great job. The acting is solid. I think they sell some pretty interesting plot points. They sell them pretty well. I think Defoe especially is a standout. I would have loved to hear them do their real voices, but that's that's cool. That's such a minor point just as a uh overview of my thoughts playing the game so i have finished it i did think it was both a very simple and a very complex game i do respect that it was plotted out and the gameplay was thought through in a way with the different options and you know anticipating what a player the things a player might concoct in their mind is i'll try this i'll try that i think it's always interesting a game pushes you to do things or make decisions that you're like, wow, that 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 decision was in my mind somewhere and I did it and here we are and it got me somewhere. Um, I think it's an interesting psychological thing. You do start to learn the tricks of the game. Uh, you start to learn how you can manipulate the situation to get a certain outcome. So if you're clever and you're paying attention to things, you learn more and as you learn more, you can use that to your advantage. So I liked that the game does reward you Whenever you crack something, you do feel very clever, very pleased with yourself. <laughs> and, um, and so I do think that for me at least it was a good experience. It sounds very meta doing the whole thing as a time loop because that's, you know, that's how we play games anyway. We we go through a segment and we, we get killed. We learn a bit as we go on. It's like mm-hmm. um, in time loop stories like uh, Russian Doll or Palm Springs, they always – 
they get a little bit more knowledge each time and that is that is a game experience absolutely it it is and it's about how to crack that and get what you need to convince the people around you of the situation you're in. Like, I'm in a time loop. How can I prove it to you? That kind of thing. You're quite right. It's like the narrative dungeon crawler. (laughs) Um, So I guess the issue, I mean, just some minor issues, I think at the start, some of the dialogue doesn't quite match up or make sense depending on the order you've selected options or the things you've decided to do to unlock bits of the story in what order. It's a minor thing. It's a kind of a you can see the stitching moment. It wasn't a huge deal for me, but at the start it makes it feel a little bit janky. Um, it is disturbing and it does involve violence. So just a note, you know, if you're thinking, cool, like slick style, uh, time loop, it sounds awesome, like great actors, but you don't like games where they use those devices for plot or for the gameplay, like they use violence or they use other things like that. So just a note for that, it might not be for you um, if if that's something you don't like, which is totally fair enough. I thought I'd just call that out so you know. Um, and depending on your penchant for these games, you might find it gets quite repetitive. So if you hit a wall, it does become quite frustrating when you don't know how to get yourself out of that loop, which I thought was great because it's like, oh, I am living in this loop. I can't escape it. But it it you know, the whole point is that you are repeating some actions with maybe only make a tiny bit of progress and then you have to do a whole bunch of stuff again. So again, if you'll know right away, this sounds like something you'll enjoy or might drive you up the wall. Um, if you like puzzle solving, if you like point and clicks, if you like thinking outside the box and kind of hitting a wall and then a tiny little tweak, and then, you know, you, you crack it and you keep moving forward, you'll enjoy this game. I think, uh, if there's anyone else out there who's like a software engineer, I think you can probably identify with hitting a wall, hitting a wall, problem solving, and then off you go. Like that feeling of the repetitive churning away, if that's something you enjoy, you'll kind of probably get something out of this game as well. It's, I'm going to say the loop is 12 minutes. Now it does say the suggested game can play for like six to eight hours. Now this seems like a very long time of repeating a loop. I didn't, I don't think I played six hours. I'd say I'm maybe four. Um, so just as a note, yeah, it could be a bit scary to see that runtime, but I'm not sure if that's, if that's accurate. Uh, and it depends on what you do, obviously. Hey, I spent about that much time watching Banshee from Black Mirror. well i mean this is the thing you know it's it's all part of the experience as well i didn't feel like it felt over long and i did get a rush as i unlocked each new clue so for me i kept getting those little hits of dopamine or like a you know those rewards i got those little sweet rewards and so i didn't feel like it was over long uh, I, I really liked it. I It hooked me enough to want to finish it, which I've done, uh, and I only downloaded it a couple of days ago. It was very fun to play, uh, you know, despite the fact that, you know, it's capitalising on a horrifically violent situation. Uh, there's some story elements. It's a bit gratuitous. It's a bit slimy, but it's a game, and I think that for what it's doing, I think it's, it's fine. Like the whole point is it has to kind of lean into being a bit dramatic in order to make the whole premise work. Uh, And, you know, it's something you want to talk about afterwards. And I definitely felt that. I love different narrative branches. I love, you know, a clear creative vision, which this game definitely has, and a little bit of an edge. So I I like that there's more games coming out with a bit more of a cinematic element, a little bit experimental and not afraid to 
piss off the gamer for like the game, the person playing the game for lack of a better term. Like I liked that it was, it was like, yep, we're just going to put you through this grind and that's the game, buddy. So yeah, I, I uh, would recommend based on the caveats I've expressed. So yeah, 12 minutes, it's available on Windows for PC and the Xbox platforms as well. And yeah, check it out if all of that sounds appealing and not horribly frustrating to you. (laughs) Which is pretty much what we do in lockdown anyway. (laughs) We just keep cycling through. (laughs) Totally. So yeah, if you want to gamify that, go for it. Um, Yeah, so that's that. All right, not to change the tone, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we'll go for a track here. we're riffing off the It's Your Station Radiothon from last mm-hmm. week. It's your space station in Zero G's terms. And I really wanted to play this last week, but so many people subscribed, <laughs> and I'm not complaining about that at all. <laughs> uh, but I did want to play this one. It's The Blue Danube. Why are we playing this? Because it is, of course, the music that goes with the Space Station 5 in the epic magnificent science fiction film 2001 a space odyssey but of course we couldn't just do the regular one because this is zero g so i whistled up spike jones and his city slickers for this one from his magnificent collection strictly for music lovers disc number three it's a multi-disc collection obviously and it is definitive and here we go with a slightly less than serious blue danube in the marmalade forest, forest. between the make-believe trees. G'day, I'm Brent McKenzie. I played an In elf in Lord of the Rings. My dad played Ellen Dolby King. You're listening to Zero G on 3RRR. And I have one thing to say. My name is Figwit the Elf. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Spike Jones and his city <laughs> <these> slickers. <laughs> You'll never watch the docking sequence in 2001 A Space Odyssey again. Quite the same way. (laughs) All right, so I played that comedy track to riff off our space station theme from last week and also (laughs) to usher us into a look at what we do in the shadows, Mm -hmm. the US American version. Now, back in 2014, the New Zealand comedy folk group performer Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords and Mm -hmm. director Taika Waititi Mm-hmm. Amongst others, they created the vampire send-up movie, What We Do in the Shadows, which had evolved from a short film, What We Do in the Shadows, interviews with some vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd done that earlier. And We Do, is how I'm going to describe it, was an entry in what I term pathetic procedural. Mm. In this case, chronicling the misadventures of a less than sparkly vampire nest set <laughs> in a flat in contemporary Wellington. Several actors from the short film reprised their roles in the feature because that's the way that Tyker and Clement roll. And there were two police officers, uh, O'Leary and Minogue, who mm-hmm. called upon the flat in the course of their duties, later went on to be the stars of their own satirical supernatural television series, Wellington Paranormal, ah, which course. you can mm-hmm. find on SBS On Demand. Now, there's much about the concept of vampirism, especially when you place it in a modern, mundane setting that lends itself to a more whimsical or outright comical approach, from Mm -hmm. teasing it out in the broader setting of Abbott and Costello movies to alluding to it in iconic TV shows like The Addams Family and The Munsters, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the more sophisticated takes seen in the early 2010 British season 
series Being Human, or indeed the blend of comedy drama pushed during Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its cousin in darkness, Angel. And there are blood banks full of straight-up vampire comedy movies from Once Bitten in 1985 through John Landis's mafioso vampire flick Innocent Blood and there's Love at First Bite and Transylvania 65000 and, you know, so mm. on. Ad Countless. Mm. Ah, but not countless. <laughs> <laughs> now, just as being human side a US American remake, so too has what we do in the shadows that spawned its own stateside incarnation. Good news is that it's as much fun as, say, the Office Ooh, remake. Good, good. And, and nowhere near in the, the, the dire level as the happily cancelled Red Dwarf clone that they once did. Uh, the US We Do benefits from having Clement at the helm with some episodes directed by Waititi, plus a cast of four core vampires drawn from a comedic f- pool familiar to fans of the IT crowd and Garth Marenghi's Dark, Pla- Dark Place and other similar off beat geek friendly spoofs so it's set on staten island and the awkward flat share element remains central to the plot with the quartet Mm -hmm. of vamps having the additional complication of being tasked with conquering the new world Mm -hmm. for their vampire lord which of course they are totally rubbish at (laughs) there are three 10 episode series with a fourth in the works uh, two seasons at least are on binge via subscription or on apple tv (laughs) plus where you pay for the episode or yeah, series. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the cast, you've got um, K. Van Novak playing the senior vampire, Nandor the Relentless, who was a, a warlord in the Ottoman Empire, kind of like the anti-Vlad the Impaler because Vlad mm-hmm. was on the other side. Right. He fancies himself the boss batty, and, of course, he takes that way too seriously, which is energy better spent on keeping up with the times, a mistake which sees him frequently wrong-winged, much to the annoyance of his human familiar, Guillermo. Uh, the actor Kavan Novak is a British actor and comedian. He's best known for co-creating and starring in a comedy series called Phone Jacker and also for playing Waj in the 2010 comedy film Four Lions. Oh. Guillermo de la Cruz is played by Javier Gulen. And always the blood maid and never the bride of Dracula. He's got high hopes of being turned into a vamp by his master. Never gets there, you know, at least mm-hmm. as I've seen. We've seen him before as a werewolf in the movie Werewolves Within. We've also got Matt mm. Berry in there playing the eternally randy upper-class English vampire. Is that an <laughs> oxymoron, really, you know? He's uh, Laszlo Cravensworth. What a great name. <laughs> we know him from the IT crowd, Marenghi's Dark, Dark Place, The Mighty Boosh, and he's also uh-huh. a pretty damn good singer, which normally would be a cue for a track. <laughs> not here today. We've got Natasha Demetrio as Nadia, the old-school Romani vampire. We've seen her before in the Channel 4 sitcom Stuff Let's Flats. So we've still got the flatmate thing running there. Mark Prokst plays Colin Robinson, who's a soul-draining, day-walking energy vampire who works in a cubicle farm <laughs> where he feeds <laughs> off despair and boredom. <laughs> Even the other vampires can be his victim. Oh. So, you know, he's known for being in the office, the US version, as Nate, 
uh-huh. uh, Dwight Schrute's lackey and office handyman. Another vampire in this story is Baron Afarnas. He's the ancient vampire from the old country. And he, uh-huh. he, he is the guy who tasks him with ruling the world. And he's played by Doug Jones, whose CV under rubber is so extensive that we don't need to uh-huh. mention it here. Yeah. Again, other guests uh, Arj Barker, Dave Bautista, uh, Kathy Geis from 30 Rock, Christian Schaal, Flight of the Concords, Paul Rubens, and he's a member of the Vampire Council, which is a hilarious episode, Tilda Swinton. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they're all sort of playing vampire roles yeah. that they've played before. Wesley Fun. Snipes as Blade. Ooh. Yeah. And so we also get Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement and Jonathan Brook who are sort of pulling their roles back from the original What We Do mm-hmm. in the Shadows as well. As uh, Even Rachel Wood, she's playing uh, a vampire in this too, and she was um, the vampire queen of Louisiana in True Blood. Oh, so there's some yeah. nice echoes. Mark Hamill, Haley Joel Osment, Benedict Wong, they're all there. Wow. The, the the themes revolve around werewolves, not scarewolves, <laughs> or indeed swearwolves. Um, exactly. There's a lot of the story, because it's a vampire sitcom, they're scrabbling around with coming to terms with modern times. The familiars are more than just sidekicks and minions in this. They're actually okay. kind of the point of view of regular folk. There's lots mm-hmm. of really silly but fun procedural, and they're trying to really take seriously, sort of, the rules from 80s and 70s vampire flicks. Right. You know, like being invited into rooms and um, if you get the garlic. Yeah. If you get caught in the sunlight, you're just going to vaporize. You're not going to, mm-hmm. you're not going to go all sparkly. <laughs> yes, there is a documentary film crew following them around. They never, mm-hmm. they never really interfere, which is probably taking the whole objective lens thing a bit too far, considering the subjects are, <laughs> uh, you know, blood sucking murderers. They have a cringeworthy encounter with live-action role players. Mm, okay, yep. The Vampire Council is hilarious. That's just one to watch but in the second season, I think. But it's even mm-hmm. funnier when they are pitted against the local Staten Island Council bureaucracy. You know, They're totally at sea there. There are more than enough droll ideas and dry wit to keep anyone happily amused as a vampire fan. It does help mm-hmm. if you know those tropes, but really, who doesn't? Yeah, you know. yeah. I think it's nice to hear that the premise has legs, like enough yeah. for a series. And you know that there's an episode where the vampires Lazio and uh, Laszlo and Nadia they, they 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 hear a song in a modern context and they realise that they wrote that song back in the day. <laughs> and you know that that's going to end up with them performing a gig. It's going to go mm. tragically wrong. <laughs> this was all filmed in um, Toronto too, by the way. So you know they sort of kind of escaped a bit of the the uh, pandemic there. There's not much CGI. They're going mm-hmm. for an in-camera look, but there is some. Nice. Yep. Uh, and I, I appreciate that in, in this kind of television yeah. show. It fits. Yeah. So it's what we do in the shadows, the US version, and it's it's just fun. If you like mm-hmm. the original film, you're going to like that, this one. Um, it is it is very respectful of the original one and has these nice riffs off it, so you can get, sort of yeah. get an added feeling to it. Vampire comedy at its best. It's like a bonus for you. The movie's great, and then if you want that little extra sweetener on top, you can check out the series. I like it. Yeah. All right, that's another one that's on uh, Binge. 
and also on Apple Apple TV Plus. <laughs> get, let's get those confused. <laughs> All right, and we mm-hmm. shall go out with a Bowie track. Mm-hmm. In this case, it is still riffing off our space theme. It's Space Oddity. <laughs> Got to be. <laughs> Got to be Oddity uh, with William Shatner. Uh, again, gotta be <laughs> on the Seeking Major Tom album. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's about it for Zero G for today. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you again to our listeners, subscribers, volunteer staff at Triple R, including Kayla Larson, our podcaster. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.